That video shows us really a drive that's in all of us. We all have this drive for prosperity and happiness. It's normal. It's legitimate. God wants that for us. He wants us to prosper and to find his blessing in life. But this is another normal drive that we have that we need to keep in check if we're going to have a healthy identity. We need to pay attention to our measure of success, our image of it. I went online and there are bunches and bunches of credit monitoring services. And you can sign up. We're looking at identity theft in this message series. We're looking at those things that can get into your system and begin to erode the identity that God wants you to have and wants you to enjoy. These credit monitoring services protect and prevent identity theft. And so we're looking today at how we need to monitor our measure of success, our definition of it, uh, because it dictates to a great degree who we become. I started early. I, I'm sure you did, dreaming about what you were going to be when you grew up. My, my focus was on baseball. I was enjoyed sports. And so early on, I thought for sure I was going to be the next Johnny Bench and be a catcher in the major leagues. Then it dawned on me one day that I could get hurt. That was the only way in my young mind that I thought I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> At that stage, I had a very limited perspective on what it took to get into the major leagues. But in reality, there are a lot of guys dreaming of being the next Johnny Bench, and the pyramid gets smaller and smaller and smaller the higher up you go in, in the uh, realm of sports. So there are very few at the top of the pyramid who make it into the major leagues, but I didn't realize that in seventh grade. But anyway, I thought, what if I don't make it? What's going to happen then? What if I get hurt? What was I going to do? Well, God used that process of thinking to redirect my, my focus. And my, my focus then became, what does God want me to do? He, that's, that's what he used. That whole thought process is the thing that God led me through to bring me to the point where I gave my life to, to go into the ministry. But what we do is we make a movie in our mind of how we want our lives to turn out, and we're always the star. I'm thinking if you aren't the star of the dreams that you've had, then there's really something wrong. It's kind of normal to, to want to star and for things to turn out a certain way. And then we begin to put our energy into making this movie come true making it happen. I struggled for, for a few years with the baseball thing, trying to figure out, well, maybe God would use me as a baseball player. I'd have a bigger platform, could do more, you know. And so I thought, even though God had called me into the ministry, that possibly my prior image of success might be his will, and it could have been. It really could have. It didn't turn out to be. But we make this movie in our mind, and it begins to shape how we handle our relationships and our responsibilities. It begins to define us. Since, since our definition of success works its way into our system, it defines us and we need to monitor, it, monitor that definition of success. Very, very important for having the right identity to understand where we fit in in the bigger scheme of things. Here, here are some components of the normal measure of success. 
It involves position. We see ourselves in, a, in a, an important position, usually. This is the normal measure of success that you find in the world. You, you, you find it uh, in the media and in, in the office, generally, or with, among friends who haven't yet met Christ. Um, the theme in this is higher and higher. I want a higher and higher and higher, more important position. And this applies to every realm. Academics, work, business, church life, family. The normal measure of success is to get in a group of people and be elevated in that group to a position of importance. Another aspect of this measure of success are possessions. More and better is the theme. I want more possessions than I now have. I want more possessions than the neighbor I want better possessions than I now have, and I want better possessions than the neighbor has. So there's foster some some competition. It takes a lot of work to get this stuff, and and there's there's striving and strife now because you set your heart on position and possessions, and now you've got to perform. That's the third thing that plays into this measure of success is performance. The theme is outdo. I want to outdo others. It's usually driven by a desire to have the approval of other people, or it can be. This generally is. You, 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 you want someone's approval, and you want to feel significant. It goes back to what we talked about, security and significance. You want to feel significant. So you see the way towards significance as position, possessions, more and better. And you set out to outdo the other people. I read a story about a um, 12-year-old AAU basketball tournament where one of the guys, one of the kids playing in the tournament, uh, the referee called a foul on him. And his mother charged onto the court and yelled at the ref, you cannot do that. This is my franchise. Can you imagine that? I can't. I've been on a lot of situations like this. <laughs> I can see it happening in my mind. This is what we do. We want to perform. We want our kids to perform because we feel important. Or we ourselves want the position, the possessions, and we want to be the best at whatever it is we're doing. The danger is, in this measure of success, is that you let the expectations of others define you. And those who hold the key to the position and the possessions, you begin to live for them. And so, it shapes how you go about living your life. It shapes your identity. It shapes the way you see yourself. This, this measure of success is found everywhere in our culture. First John defined it as uh, the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it's, it's in our hearts. It's in our hearts. It's in our culture. It's in the way the world operates. The problem is, in this system, envy drives your actions. Ecclesiastes 4.4. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. And uh, he was trying to figure out the meaning of life. He's He's... He is a very wealthy, he was a very wealthy king 
who had everything you could imagine that anyone would want, and he still came up empty. So he's, he's looking at life. He's, he's figuring out all that he's done, all that he's accomplished. He has the number one position in his country. He, he's, he's, he's worked and, you know, accomplished a tremendous amount. And still he's trying to figure out what life's all about. And this is what he says. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He concludes later on what to focus on in the normal measure of success in Ecclesiastes 12. You could read that sometime on your own. But here he's saying, what I see going on in the world is envy is driving things. It is, it is driving the efforts of people to get after it. And envy is something that starts with desire. I want something. It's normal to want things. It's normal to want happiness. But desire can turn easily to covetousness. Coveting. That's in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Jesus told us not to, or God told us not to do that. Coveting is a step up from desire. It means not only do I want something, I see somebody else who have, has it, and I want that. I want what they have. And then, coveting can turn to envy. And envy is, I, I covet something and I resent the other person. I'm jealous of them. And I, I want what they have, but I'm jealous. And it drives me to do and become things that are very destructive. That's, that's the problem with that measure of success. Sometimes, if we don't measure up in this measure of success, we pretend. So we aren't ourselves. We're pretending. We're a caricature of of a person. We're not letting people see who we really are. We're setting up an image and trying to portray something that is not us. If we decide we have a right to this portrait of success then we can do some desperate things in an attempt to to complete the picture ourselves. In dating, we do that. In ministry, in in our work, we start painting this, this, this portrait. We try to complete it ourselves. And substance loses out over the image we're trying to, to achieve. This is like living on a treadmill. It's... it's it, it feels like progress. Your feet are moving, and things are moving, and it seems like progress, but you end up where you started, empty. That's what, that's what Solomon was saying. This, too, is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. You might as well be trying to catch wind, because you, you will not find what you're looking for in this way of thinking, in this measure of success. This system steals your identity because you are focused on becoming someone else. You're not focused on becoming who you were made to be, but you're trying to fit into this picture of success that that has been painted for you or that's painted in front of you, and it takes your focus off of who you are and puts it on staying up with everyone else. In contrast, here is God's measure of success. The perspective in God's system is, first of all, that we're an owner. 
I mean, that we're a steward, not an owner. The opposite of that. Uh, we're, we're stewards. And what it means to be a steward is you're, you're just a manager of something. You don't own it. And the perspective in Scripture is that God made the earth and everything in it, and we, are, we ourselves were made by him. We really belong to him. He's given us the freedom of whether or not we serve him and relate to him. But he, we really belong to God. Everything in the world belongs to him, all of our stuff. He gave us the ability to do what we do, to think, to, to accomplish whatever it is we're accomplishing. All of it comes from him. And we're stewards of our gifts, our abilities, our possessions, our position. God puts you in the position you're in, whatever it is at work, whatever it is in your family, whatever. In your groups that you're in, God has put you in the position you find yourself in. And we're stewards of that position in life, that place in life that he's given us. That means that we are responsible to handle our gifts and abilities and money and possessions and positions well. That's what God wants. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus tells a story that illustrated this perspective. It's known as the parable of the talents. You can read it sometime. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... What happened is the master, who represents God, gave servants different amounts of money. And what mattered was not the different amounts. It wasn't how much money you had, not talent is, 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 a, a month, is money. And so he gave talents to the different servants. And what mattered was not the amount, the number of talents they received, but what they did with it, whether or not they were faithful. Because you hear the master say... Well done, good and faithful servant. Now you can share in your master's happiness. And to those who were faithful, they found God's blessing. So it's not important how high your position, how many possessions, or how much money, your abilities, your gifts, etc., your level of intelligence. But what are you doing with what you have? That's the lesson of this perspective, this measure of success. When you're a steward, the standard of success is faithfulness. So that's, that's another key factor in this measure of success. The standard for success is faithfulness. I don't know about you, but that is always a relief to me. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.2. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust or a stewardship, a stewardship is a trust, must prove faithful. That's what God expects. Now, when I am feeling pressure and my insides are starting to ramp up with this, this pressure and I feel like I'm a balloon about to pop, when I realize that the only thing God wants is for me to do my best, not be the best. The pressure deflates. And I realize, you know what? I can do my best. I can't do someone else's best. I can't be someone else in this spot in my life. At this point in my life, I can't be anyone else but me. I can do 
my best. I may or may not be the best, but I'm the one that God's put here. (laughs) I'm the one that's in this relationship. I'm the one that's handling this responsibility. God didn't hand it to anybody else. He gave it to me. And I can be faithful. Wow, that just releases the pressure valve for me in many, many ways. I, I, I may be in a, imagine you're in a relationship and you may be in a relationship where there's some conflict and struggle and you're not quite sure what to do or how to, how to respond to a person that you're struggling with. You know what? You, you, you can't fix it. What you can do is be faithful to do what you need to do, what God says to do. You can find that out in the scriptures. You dig into the scripture and you, you figure out what is my role in this, God? And would you help me, Lord God Almighty, would you help me to handle this rightly? That's all you can do. And when you don't handle it rightly, you straighten out the mess. We do that. We're people. We mess up. And the key is not that you don't mess up, you see, but that when you do, you straighten it out. You're faithful to get it straightened out. And God uses responsibility and relationships to train us and teach us and grow us as we go through life, as we set our heart on his standard for success, which is faithfulness, being faithful to him. From God's point of view, and that's the only one that really is going to matter in the end, we don't own anything. It's all, it's all given to us by him. And our success is determined by whether or not we are faithful to handle the things the way that he wants us to handle them. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says that no one can exalt a man except for God. He's the one that puts you in any position that you find yourself in. Now, it it requires faith to live this way. And that's what it means to follow Christ. You commit your life to follow Christ, you have to trust him. But if you do, he comes through. In God's system, relationship drives your actions. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, is a statement made by Paul, who who was in a religious system where performance and position were all that mattered. And so the guys he hung around with uh, fostered wrong values in competition because they were trying to, they were taking, they took the world system, which is what we do sometimes when we try to follow Christ. We take the world system, the, the normal measure of success, and we apply it to church or our relationship with Christ. And when you do that, you get all messed up. In the verses prior to these that I'm going to read for you, He is describing his position and his performance, and he was top-notch in this religious system that he was in. But then he, he met Christ, and now he describes what's important. But whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. When you realize that you can't earn your salvation, you can't be righteous enough to get into heaven because any unrighteousness, you know, you if if I were to step into heaven, which God is is designing to be a perfect environment, I'm going to mess it up on my own. I mean, without Christ and without his righteousness and his death on the cross, his blood covering me and him being my righteousness, I can't go there. I just it just won't work out. But you see, what God's done is he has made a way for us to have his righteousness. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he provides it for you. When you, when you admit that you, you have sinned, you've gone your own way, when you turn around and follow Christ, you receive his righteousness. And so that's the basis on which you stand. You don't have to perform. See, the system that Paul was in prior to this was a performance-based system. And actually, Jesus had a conversation in Mark 10. It's recorded in a few of the Gospels. He had a, a conversation with a guy that became known as the rich young ruler. That's what... A lot of people call him now. He was very wealthy. Uh, he was in the system that Paul was describing. Read uh, Mark 10, 17 through 25 sometime, and you'll find out what's going on. But anyway, Jesus was teaching, and this rich young guy came up to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the question. Based on performance, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. He was sort of answering him in line with his system of thinking. You know the commandments. You shall not steal. You shall not have any false gods before me. You know, he, he was quoting. And, and the, the young ruler said, well, I've kept all these since I was a youth. Which is a pretty amazing statement, frankly if he really understood the commandments. But it says then, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said this, there's one thing you lack. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Give the money to the poor. And the reason Jesus said that is because he knew what was blocking this guy from giving his heart to God. It was his stuff. He was wealthy, he had a big, huge bank account, he had a lot of stuff, and he was wrapping his heart around the stuff. And so Jesus went right to the heart of the the, the issue. He said, you think you own your stuff, but you're going to need to give it up if you follow me. You're really a steward of the things that you have. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our performance. He he wants to have a relationship with us that guides the way that we handle life. And when you get into a relationship with him, once you commit to follow him, your relationship to Christ shapes your identity. It revolutionizes it. If you'll stay, the, the scriptural word is abide or remain. If you'll remain in that relationship, 
You get into the scripture and you soak it in and you try to allow it to shape your thinking and your perspective on life. You, you set aside the old measure of success and you go with the new measure of success. Boy, your approach to life is radically different than it was before. So if I have decided to follow Christ, these are the things I want to do. I want to make it my aim to please God, not others, not some portrait of success with wrong, unrealistic expectations, but I want to please the God who made me. This turns out to be the key to success. Look at Ecclesiastes 2.26. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering up and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What this means is our success here and now isn't at the whim of moody, unpredictable people who hold the keys to position and possessions. But it's in the hands of a loving and faithful God that we can trust. Boy, what a relief. Next, I want to accept the way God has made me. 1 Corinthians 12:11. it's the one and only Spirit, God, God's Spirit, who distributes all these things. He alone decides which gift each person should have. God made me the way I am for a reason. My picture of success should flow with his design. I, have, I haven't ever seen a car with wings on the freeway. The reason is they weren't made to fly. Some people try to make them fly, get into trouble, but they are not made to fly. So their design flows with their their design fits with what they're made to do. We're the same way. We accept the way we're made, realizing that God made us this way for a reason. Next, it's important to avoid comparison. 2 Corinthians 10:12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Not only that, it's hard to say. <laughs> there is no wisdom in comparison, none whatsoever. There is, there is no need for envy. When you start looking around and wanting what other people have, you're in danger of some very destructive and damaging actions. Your evaluation comes from above you, not beside you. And your focus in evaluating your own life and attitudes and approach to life should be vertical, not horizontal. Dear God, what what do you want from me right now? What is right before you? The question is not, am I in front of the pack, but am I doing my best with what God has given me? That's, that's the core question of life. Finally, <clears throat> our purpose should be to fulfill his purpose for my life, or our focus, our desire. Because what, what we tend to have to do as people is our desires are there. We have negative, positive, we have positive and negative desires things that we want that are good and bad. We've got, to keep, we've got to keep saying no to the negatives and keep reining in the legitimate desires that can go wild at times 
and focus them to fulfill God's purpose. Acts 20.24 just basically says, my, worth, my, my life's not worth anything unless I use it for doing what God's assigned me. Unless I use it for doing the purpose that God has given me. Faith means, when you commit your life to Christ, you live for a different purpose than you did before. You don't live to please yourself. You live to fulfill his purpose. You set your heart on God's purpose, not your own agenda. Your dreams may or may not be in his plans. You have dreams. You have things, and, and, and they may or may not fit with his plans. The only thing that is going to make sense of disappointment, failure, closed doors, struggle, is God's purpose. It's the lens through which you need to view what's going on in your life. My son, Thad, when he was 13, we got a note home from school saying he needed glasses. They did a check. We felt like negligent parents at that point. Uh, But I remember after he got his glasses, I mean, he was was already a pretty good baseball player, but after he got his glasses, he could actually see the spin, which is pretty important in baseball. It, you know, whether the ball's breaking or going straight. And then we were driving down the freeway one, one, freeway one day, and he said, Wow, Dad, can you always see the leaves on the trees? Or driving down the road, I guess. Can you always see the leaves on the trees? You know, he could see detail that he couldn't see. And <clears throat> I didn't need glasses at the time, but in the last several years, I need them desperately. I get up in the morning, and the clock's fuzzy. I probably need to get bigger numbers. <laughs> And if I try to read something, sometimes I forget my glasses and I'm trying to read it and things are fuzzy. But boy, you put the glass on and it comes crystal clear what it's saying. That's, that's exactly how it is with the things that are going in our lives, the problems, the disappointments, the failures, the dreams that we have to let go. The only way that you're going to be able to make sense of those things is to view them through the lens of God's purpose for your life. If you will... They'll begin to make sense. And if you'll allow him, he will use everything that's going on in your life for good, for his purpose. He really will. When others have what you want, you can say, you know, that's that's God's purpose for them. I'll rejoice with them. This is an acid test of this of this perspective. Can you rejoice with those who have what you want? Yeah, that's God's purpose for them, and I know he will be good to me. You have to say that over and over again. That's what God wants for them. Man, that's great. God, I know you'll be good to me as I I serve you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word that really sets us free. Thank you for your love, where you do love us and you tell us the truth. And you want us to understand how that can shape our perspective and our identity. Thank you for your faithfulness.